We're uh, in the second week of just re-looking together at the Great Commission and this is where it's found at the end of Matthew's Gospel and we'll read through it together and, and we'll just recap a little bit of what we said last week but we're going to think about it in terms of well, where are we at now as a society and how do we do this now because there are a lot of people who are looking at the state of the church and going, I don't know if we're going that well. I think some of the pressure and weight of being so widely stretched in our attention and what's going on in the world has actually made it hard for us to know how to travel deeply and do this in community with other people. And we'll tease that out a little bit further in our time together today. But this is what the text says. Matthew 28 and from verse 16. The eleven disciples travelled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It was true for those men who heard that, and it's true for us today. Not only the commission that they'd been given, but the promise that Jesus, who is the authority over everything, everywhere, is also present with us in every age, with all of the strengths and opportunities that each age brings, and with all of the unique challenges and burdens that each age brings. He's with us. So what is he saying to us today about what it means to follow him? Let's pray again and we'll dive into the text. God, again, we just want to simply say that we want to worship you well in this moment. And that means listening well to you. Thanks that you've given us your word, which was breathed out through your Holy Spirit. And you've also put your Holy Spirit in us who believe in Jesus so that we can listen and understand and obey it. So we ask for that work to go ahead in us today. Through the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. So we're going to just recap where we uh, touched on last week because this is our second week uh, dealing with the text and we're not going to spend half an hour going over what we spent half an hour on last week so let me be really, really succinct about a couple of things that Matthew found very, very important to talk to us about before he focused on the work of making disciples. And the first thing he touched on, well, what is a disciple anyway? And we saw last week that a disciple is simply someone whose whole life revolves around following Jesus. That's the first part. But the second part is it's somebody who is part of a community that revolves around following Jesus. It's not an individual sport. This is something that we do together as a community. And you might read that and say, okay, well, if it's meant to be your whole life revolving around following Jesus and being part of a community that revolves around following Jesus, when somebody like Wayne says we need to be doing more, does that mean I need to be maybe moving toward full-time ministry like I have the privilege of doing? Or does that mean I need to be at church more on Wednesday night and Tuesday night and, and each Sunday and so on? It's not necessarily talking about what that looks like. It's talking about the reality of it happening somehow. So a person whose life revolves around following Jesus and who is part of a community that revolves around following Jesus, that happens at your workplace. That happens in your family home. And that happens when you're playing sport. It just looks different in all of those different contexts. So you're doing it and I'm doing it and there's no difference in kind of how far along the, the road we are that, um, that can be measured by how we're doing it. What we want to do today is to listen to God say, what does it need to look like for me now? What does it need to look like for you now? And how do we journey together in helping each other figure out what that is meant to look like? 
What does it mean? Well, what it actually means requires you to know this next part that Matthew spoke about last week. Who is Jesus? It's not number one, that's the second point. He is our risen and reigning Lord. And he is our indwelling source of life. Last week we pictured it like this. Uh, Jesus is the person who has the highest position in our lives. He's the the one who says, all authority has been given to me. He's not the one who says, "Um, let me be in charge of your Sunday morning. You got the rest of the week to do whatever you like. No, he says, I'm the authority. I'm your risen Lord. I've purchased you by dying for you. uh, I'm in that position of reigning on high. He's, He's the one who is the authority. But he is also the one who is our presence. He's the one who is the source of our life. Um, He's the one who changes our experience of what life feels like and gives us the capacity to live under his authority. See, being a person whose life revolves around following Jesus and building a community around following Jesus can only happen when Jesus is both our Lord, the one who is the ultimate authority, and our life, the one who is present with us and who is the source of every good thing. Now again, this was last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking that, but you've got to know that deeply before we get into the, okay, what should we do part of the message. You've got to know that what we are being called to is to revolve around Jesus, be part of a community that revolves around Jesus, and that can only happen for you when you let Jesus not only be the authority, and some of us struggle with that side of it, but you also let Jesus be your life, the one who is helping, who is present, who is uh, the source of every good thing for you. Now, after Matthew identifies who we are and who Jesus is, that's when he goes on and gives us the job. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoops. Wrong verses. And the next bit goes on. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you is how those verses finish. So these men, they know what a disciple is. They've been doing it for the last few years. Jesus has been uh, discipling them. So they, they understand what does it mean to make disciples. They're seeking to make more of themselves. They know clearly that Jesus isn't asking them to go and whip up a crowd. They've experienced that. They've been there when huge crowds have gathered and they've hung on Jesus' every word and that felt great. And they've been there when crowds welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem and said, the king is here. And they're thinking, yes, we're part of a movement. And then they were there when crowds yelled, crucify him. These guys know that crowds are fickle. Um, People will follow all kinds of things and they'll jump on board all kinds of things. They're not about gathering a crowd. Numbers aren't the gauge of success. These men know that what Jesus is asking them to do is actually to make disciples. Like the little group that they've been a part of for the past three years, who are learning to follow Jesus deeply, who are living life together, and that's a life-on-life learning that they are a part of. Again, a disciple is simply somebody whose life revolves around following Jesus. Their opinion about Jesus is irrelevant. It's the fact that their life revolves around following him and they're doing that in community. That's what Jesus is asking them to make. That's what they have become. How do they do that? What's the process going to be? Well, it's really quite simple. All they need to do is identify those people who have come to know Jesus as our risen and reigning Lord, who have come to know that he is the source of life, and to figure out together, then how do we live that out? How do we let that change our community? How do we let that change our daily decisions? How do we let that change our attitudes? How do we let that change what we do with our finances? And to be that community revolving around 
the reality of who Jesus is. And it begins, as Jesus says, with baptism. What's baptism all about? Well, the Apostle Paul summarised it this way in Galatians 2.20, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul had this reality that really drove everything about how he lived his life. And that is, my life, the way it was before I knew Christ, is now kind of dead to me. It's over. That's, that's not who I am and what I pursue anymore. Because now I know that Jesus is my risen Lord and Saviour. I know that he died for me to, uh, for the forgiveness of my sins. I know that he has risen again to give me eternal life. I know that my relationship with God is restored, not through how well I do, but how well he has done on my behalf in in repairing that relationship so now I get to live as somebody who knows God and has God present in my life and I know he's not dead and in the grave he's reigning from on high he's the ultimate authority and I want to glorify him and obey him in everything I do his belief about Jesus was the central reality of his life and that's what baptism symbolizes it symbolizes Jesus's death and what that means and his resurrection and what that means it symbolizes our choice to join with him and die to ourselves I'm not just going to ignore these facts anymore and live as though I'm in charge and live as though life depends on me I actually want to live a new kind of life where you're in charge and you're the one who is doing everything good through me baptism's a really powerful symbol of these realities about what we're called to and who we believe in and it's not a once-off event it symbolizes this daily discipline of dying to self in order to live by faith in the son of god and how do we do that well we need other disciples to teach us to obey everything jesus commanded you see the great commission is really clear Jesus didn't just say, okay, get somebody to pray a certain prayer, then give them a Bible and say, right, everything you need's in there, off you go, best of luck. That's not how disciples are made. He's asking people that he's discipled to then go and disciple others. They're made as we baptise people who we recognise, hey, this person has come to know Jesus, right? We've got a starting point. And then we together figure out what does it mean to teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. I love how um, Wayne stole one of the points in my sermon earlier when he, when he mentioned the fact that it's not going to look the same as we pass the baton from generation to generation. Uh, people are going to have to learn to follow Jesus in the ways that fit who they are and what their circumstances are uh, and the culture that they're a part of and all that kind of stuff. Yet, there is an awful lot that we can pass on from generation to generation. There's an awful lot we can pass on from friend to friend uh, as we follow Jesus. So we're going to just um, think about what that might look like together as we look at the way Jesus talked about what this process was going to look like for his disciples as they are to um, make disciples to the ends of the earth. In Acts 1, from verse 8, we read, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's that process that Jamie alluded to earlier, where this has been going on and on. Ever since Jesus gave this commission, we can look back at and see people who have played their role in how making disciples started in Jerusalem and is extending all over the earth. And we can learn so much and be enriched so much as we look at how God has done that in the lives of others. Now, for these guys, they're starting off in a culture they're fairly familiar with. They're, they're in Jerusalem. 
they have common language, they have common customs, they have common values. There's a storyline for those who are Jews going back thousands of years, which we'll be learning more about at the Passover in a couple of weeks, um, that they get to celebrate, this is our identity, we're this people. So they're starting out among people where they have a big uh, common ground with. And they're figuring out what does it mean to follow Jesus as a community. But Jesus wasn't content for it to stay there. He says, no, no, I want you now to move out of there into Judea, into the, the regional areas around you. There's still a lot in common, same people groups. But then go a little bit into Samaria. Now we've got some different cultural influences as a part of that. And then go to the ends of the earth. What is it going to look like to make disciples sorry, in each of those contexts? Well, to answer the question, we've got to read the whole New Testament because that's the story of it. It's the story um, in the book of Acts about what it looked like and what issues came up and how they resolved them because it wasn't looking the same in Antioch as what it looked in Jerusalem. And originally some folks came from Jerusalem and said, no, no, you guys got to do exactly what we do down in, in Jerusalem. And, and the guys in Antioch said, well, we don't think Jesus actually really says that. And they had to figure this stuff out. What does it mean to follow Jesus as a Jew versus a Gentile? What does it mean to follow Jesus in that place versus this place? In the same way that we have to figure out, what did it mean for me to follow Jesus? Now, for me, as somebody rapidly approaching 50, and for my kids as people who are not as old as I am, and they're living in a world which does have different temptations and different opportunities. What is that all going to mean? And that's the journey of making disciples of all nations, in all places, and in all times. And so I'd encourage you, when you're reading the New Testament, have that as a filter. Where do we see people following Jesus deeply in their local community among people who are similar? And how do we see them reaching out beyond that, where they're having to bridge some cultural differences, age differences, preferences, styles, different histories? How do they navigate that kind of stuff? You see, what we see flagged here in Acts 1.8 is that there's going to be a local church, and that church is going to grow to be a universal church. You don't get the universal church doing everything a local church can do. And you don't get a local church doing everything the universal church can do. The way they make disciples is actually quite different. So let's uh, spend a couple of minutes and I hope this will be really helpful for you because one of the things I've seen as uh, the the church has continued to evolve, change, grow. It does tend to take on things that are going on in culture around it. It adopts technologies. People come in already with a set of beliefs and behaviours and attitudes and that just becomes part of church life. And sometimes we need to step back and say, okay, right, how does the Bible critique, how does the Bible affirm some of the things that we have naturally adopted uh, into our church culture. And as that little vid showed us earlier, um, th there's never been a time when we are aware of so many things happening in so many places. There's never been a time when you have had so many possibilities laid out in front of you. Your kids, if you have kids, have never had so many extracurricular activities on offer. Uh, you have never had so many sports you could be a part of or TV shows that you could watch or newspapers you could read or podcasts you could listen to. The world is so wide in the sorts of influences and activities that can be a part of our lives. We've never had so much choice. But that choice comes with implications. And we're going to think a little bit about that together today. As we think about the local church, the local church is really great at going deeper. Uh, I don't need to know billions of people around the world. God calls me to travel deeply with a few, to get to know their gifts and their strengths and their weaknesses and where they are so Christ-like that it just helps me to be like Jesus and where they've got some blind spots where they might need somebody to build into them and teach them some things because they're not yet following Jesus in that part of life. You can't do that with everybody, but you can do that with a few. 
And that's what the local church is uniquely set up by God to do. And when you read the New Testament letters to local church, it's always about life on life sharing. It's all about paying attention to what's going on in each other's life. Um, And you can look at every aspect about how the church is organised and what the church does and the frequency of its meetings. Everything is designed to go deeper with whoever God has put in that place at that time. That's your local church. And so that's a unique kind of thing. But then, of course, we're part of the universal church, which is really, really wide. And there are so many different gifts and so many different resources and so many different things that God is doing. And that's part of our discipleship too, to look around the world and to be connected to people. Uh, We prayed for our partners in mission in places like Niger and the Philippines and here in Australia. And we're connected in a two-way relationship that is a huge blessing to us. It opens our eyes to what God is doing. It enlarges our vision of what is possible here and now. There are so many resources that we are blessed by that come from outside of ourselves. Does anyone else other than Jamie ever go to Kurong and get a book and say, what a blessing, that's really helped me. That's what the Universal Church does. It provides all kinds of great things. But when you're not clear about what the local church is meant to do and what the Universal Church is meant to do, you can actually begin to neglect one or the other. When you, when you really need both. So we're going to spend a bit of time unpacking a little bit of what that looks like for us today. In the Bible, how do we see evangelism happening? Well, in the, the universal church sense, you, you had guys like Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John and all those guys who were travelling around and they didn't necessarily spend a long time in any particular place. Sometimes they did. But their big thing, public proclamation. Here's the truth about Jesus. And by the grace of God, people heard that. God had already been working in their lives. They were ready to receive the message, believe, and local churches were formed. Uh, that's how um, the universal church did uh, evangelism. And sometimes that was uh, uh, accompanied by signs and wonders to get people's attention so that they went, oh, who's, what's this going on? What's this all about? There's something amazing. And so there was this sense of somebody comes in, makes an impact like that, moves on. But, you know, when you read the, the New Testament letters and when you read in the book of Acts about what happened over time as those local churches grew and did evangelism, you know what you see less of and less emphasis upon? That big, spectacular stuff and the public proclamation side of things. Does that mean it wasn't important anymore? In no way. But what the local churches did really well was life-on-life witnessing. So you see things like uh, Christian women who are in marriages where their husband might not be a believer, but they're being encouraged, hey, keep trusting God for the ability to live in such a way in that home that your husband will see your character and eventually go, there's something good here that even though I'm being a jerk, that there's a goodness that keeps coming out toward me. I want to know where that's coming from and how are you sustaining that uh, with what I've been doing? So there's, there's these ways and there's a countless different examples of what that looks like where people are being encouraged to hey, live faithfully to, to, um, in community with others so that people can see what it's like to follow Jesus. And over time, that's going to make a huge difference because you're going deeper with fewer. Does that make sense? We could look at other things like... Charity. How did charity work in the early church? Well, in local church settings, you saw people showing hospitality. Come to my place. Stay with me. Eat my food. In some cases here, I'll make you clothes. It was very practical ways that people were showing charity. Uh, Church governance in local churches was set up so that there would be people who could go and visit others in their homes. And yes, they would be taking food, but the inference is that they're also caring for people building relationships with people, checking in on how they're going. That's what local churches do really well. 
what else do we see happening in the New Testament? Well, there's a famine going on in Jerusalem. Uh, it's not, hey, let's all go down there and look after those guys. No, we just need to send some money down to help them out. So the Universal Church does a really great job at spreading the net wide. Hey, how many people can we get to give a little bit because that's going to make a big difference to those ones who have a need? Um, so low commitment from those people way off in Ephesus or Rome. Here's, here's as much money as I can give. Altogether, it does something really awesome. But when you're locally involved with people, that's very high commitment. That's sharing, well, in these days, a bathroom. <laughs> you know, that's, that's giving up your car so somebody else can have a way of getting around. That's very practical. How am I going to care for the people who God has put in my life? What about fellowship? What does that look like? Again, New Testament times, that's people writing letters and visiting far-off places so that they can keep uh, in, in connection and have fellowship with one another. What does it look like for us? A quick WhatsApp chat or a Facebook post or whatever that might be, but you're staying connected in some way. But is that enough for deep relationships? No. Uh, so in a local setting with the people that God has put around you in this place at this time, you want to somehow go deeper. Yeah, touch base. Oh, look what happened. I just saw that um, somebody went to this place and put a photo up. That's, that's lovely. But the conversations about, well, what happened at your work this week and how was that discouraging or how were you excited and how can I pray for you and all those deeper things of fellowship that we really need, going deeper. Only happen with time and face-to-face. And that's what the local church uh, has always been designed to do. Rolling through. Music, we don't get a lot of info from the Bible about this, to be honest, except in the local churches it says people rock along and they've got a song that they want to share. Um, well, for those who are part of a Jewish tradition, they had centuries of psalms set to music and other things. For those who came from pagan temples, i got no idea whether they brought in the tune that they'd grown up with as a child and just put some, some truthful words to it. What that looked like, no, no idea. But I do know in the church today that we benefit from both the local church's approach to music and the universal church's approach to music. Is anyone old enough to remember tapes? Yeah, of course you are. I'm not alone here. Uh, so for me, the universal church, when I was a young guy, blessed me enormously. Um, I'll list some artists like uh, Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and Keith Green and, and a whole bunch of others where you get the tape, well-produced music, great encouraging songs, and they made a real difference. They encouraged me and, and, and kind of excited me in my Christian faith and sometimes helped me to process emotions that I might not have processed otherwise when life was tough and that kind of thing. Universal Church was a huge blessing because of the skill and quality of the music they provided. But I was part of a church where we had two pianists one played by following the sheet music, um, the other one couldn't read sheet music, she played by ear. And they had different styles and different benefits uh, to each of their approaches, but nobody in our church expected what they could produce for a Sunday after Sunday to be anything like the tape that we were popping in the, the tape player. And it didn't matter, uh, because these are the people we love and who are part of our community and they're serving with us, and you just didn't expect that, and you still got just as much of a blessing out of that as you did about singing along to the tape at home. And you got a unique blessing because when you were here, you were singing with people you love. And that's very, very special. And, and so you could enjoy both of those. Now, we're in an age where um, church dynamics are probably a little bit different and you can go to a whole bunch of churches. And I was on guitar this morning, so no one's going to pretend that you get it here. But you can go to a whole bunch of places where what you're getting in your church on a Sunday is as good or better than something that you're buying and putting uh, on in your CD player or streaming on Spotify. Uh, so, so the quality can be really, really great. That's not a bad thing at all. 
But if we think that that's what the local church has to do, then we're forgetting what the local church does really well when it comes to worship and music. Because what matters is that we know these people and we know their heart. And we are enjoying coming together as a community to do what really matters. And if your throat croaks in the middle of trying to hit that high note, you need to know that no one here gives a rip. We love it because we are enthusiastically worshipping our God together. Right? And, and, and you know, if somebody's voice cracks on a CD I just spent money on, maybe I'm not going to be that impressed. But here, it's fantastic. Love it. Um, and you've got to know that. Uh, it's not about performance, as we said earlier. So there's those different approaches to all those different things. What about prayer? You know, we stay connected. We pray for people right around the world. Uh, who do you have really close to you where not only are you praying very general prayers like we read in the New Testament, which are fantastic and we ought to be praying, but very specific prayers about what happened yesterday and what the fears are about tomorrow or what the plans are for next week. How are we praying at that level of detail for one another's life? Because as uh, Wayne said, prayer's at the heart of everything we do. Without uh, coming to God, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, we all labour in vain. And finally, teaching. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, you saw guys like Paul, and they're going from city to city to city, and basically the message stays the same. They're repeating it over and over again. And so as a communicator, you're more and more familiar with the material. So in a sense, you're able to actually present to those different crowds in a way that somebody who is just doing it for the first time can't do. Does that make sense? And you see the same thing happen today. You listen to people on podcasts and they might have one narrow area of expertise. And because they know it so well, they can present that info in a way that somebody like me just can't do. And so the teaching that you can get from the universal church that's going really wide, you get people who get to be very narrow and get very good at presenting certain sorts of things. In your local church, you're not going to get that. Unless you're a part of a local church which says to some, some people, hey, spend all your time look, working on your teaching, you might get somewhere down that track. But you're getting teaching from people who are in and day in, day out, um, making sure that the lights are working or going and visiting folks in hospital or spending time uh, helping work through uh, life issues with people. And they may have uh, a lot less time to put the teaching together. But what they do know and what they do have is a connection with the people that God is speaking to and an opportunity to say, God, what are you saying, not just generally, and whoever I'm speaking to can get something out of it, but what are you saying specifically to us? You know, what's on my heart as somebody who's seen what's going on in the lives of a bunch of our people? Uh, what's your word saying about where we are at as a community? So you're getting a different blessing. And both are really awesome. I love listening to podcasts from people who have no idea who I am, whether I'm listening to them, what I think of them, and that's, that's no big deal. It's fantastic. But I also love speaking to people who have something to say to me about what God's word says. And it could be because they've seen something in my life or it could be because we're dealing with something together and we're speaking words of life to each other. Both are fantastic. The universal church and the local church are a massive blessing to us. So there's just a few ways that the local church and the universal church are different. Now, we don't want this just to be academic. I want us now to think about, well, so what? How is this affecting how I'm being a disciple and making a disciple? Well, as we've been thinking about, our world now is wider than it's ever been. It is easier to be universal than it has ever been. Uh, so the, the Christians in Corinth, um, they, they're trying to deal with something locally. They need some wisdom, so they send a letter to Paul. They've got a, 
uh, write the letter, send it with somebody. He's got to travel around to where Paul is and then the reply's got to travel all the way back. But eventually they get it and Paul is able to help them. Uh, and that's a blessing of the universal church. And Paul doesn't just write to them on one issue. After all, it's taken a year to get this thing sorted out. He writes them on a whole bunch of different issues. Now, if I am somebody who is present in the life of our church, need to talk to our church about a specific issue, am I going to do what Paul did and write on 13 different issues because it's going to take a year for the communication? No. We're going to do one thing at a time. And we're probably going to have to come back to that one thing over and over and over again because we're not far away. We're close and we get to do that. So what teaching looks like, what discipleship looks like is going to be really, really different. Um, Ever heard the expression FOMO? Good. Fear of missing out. Right? Now, here's the thing about being in the local church. Uh, we cannot avoid being connected to what's happening in America, what's happening in Europe, what's happening in the next suburb across from us. We're seeing a whole bunch of things all the time. And uh, when I get an invitation to go to, let's just say it's a birthday party somewhere, um, I might go, yep, I'll go to that. But then in the back of my mind, but I know that there's also something going on over here that I've seen that's coming up. And what if that one's going to be more fun? And so we're having to decide what things we go to more and more. And people are genuinely struggling to actually commit to anything because what if something better comes up? Has anyone else struggled to get an RSVP for anything in the last 10 years? You know what's going on, right? Because one, we're really busy and we just forget to do it. But secondly, oh, I'm not sure if that thing's going to happen and I really prefer that thing. So I might wait before I commit to that thing to see if that thing comes, comes off. Um, so that, that happens all the time. And has anyone had uh, an RSVP or you've catered something and then people don't turn up? Because what happened? Well, I said that, that I was going to do this, but then this other thing happened um, and I really want to do that and so I'll go do that other thing. So this whole FOMO kind of culture we're a part of, it means that we're adjusting our choices all the time or delaying our choices because we want to make sure that we get to do the thing that we most want to do or that we think will be the most fun. Now, keep that in mind when we read a passage that Paul uh, addresses to Timothy uh, toward the end of his ministry. And in this passage, we see some of the blessings of being widely connected and we see some of the dangers. We some of the, see some of the blessings of being deeply connected and we see some of the dangers. So let me read it for you. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 3 onwards uh, from verse 10. But you, being Timothy, have followed my, being the Apostle Paul's, teaching, the conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and teaching. 
For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they'll multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfil your ministry. So what's that all about? There's heaps of great stuff in that passage. Um, But as Timothy is somebody who has been told to make disciples, he's part of the Great Commission, and so he's working in a local church context. And as Brendan shared with us a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that Paul had already said to him was, don't let people look down on you because you're young, but in everything set an example for the believers in life, in speech, in faith, in purity. In other words, let people see your life. I mean, they might look at you from a distance and say, what can that young punk tell us? But because you're in a local church setting where people get to know who you are, they get to see the attitudes of your heart, they get to watch your life day by day, they know that even though you might not be as gifted a communicator as as, um, somebody with a bit more experience might be, or even though you might not know everything about every subject, they know that they can trust you to shepherd them well. That's what local churches do really well. And what does Paul say? And use the word of God which is there for the universal church. It's a blessing from apostles who've lived in other places and other times. Use that to disciple them deeply because it's powerful and it will make an impact. You see the universal church and the local church working together really powerfully. But we see the warning there, um, which is something that we see more in evidence today. You know what? Uh, As people have opportunity to gather around themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear maybe it's teacher at the local temple to some other pagan god maybe it's somebody in their family giving them advice about what they ought to do in a particular situation or maybe as was commonly the case back then there are people traveling from town to town and they're teaching their particular slant on what we should believe and how we should live however they do it people naturally kind of clump around themselves the people who'll tell them what they want to hear and paul says be really careful about that and as for you What you need to continue in is what you have taken on, what you've been taught by those you know well. You spent years with me. You lived with your mum. You had your grandma in your life from an early age. Those ones you know well, whose life you were able to see, the fruit of their life you were able to observe, you know that you can trust those people to handle God's word well. So local church stuff. Um, Now Paul is writing from further away, so again the universal church... What a blessing to speak some encouragement into Paul's local ministry. And he's saying to Timothy, make sure that you really take advantage of the setting for ministry that God has got you in. Now, we're in the same boat, right? We we can gather around ourselves a great number of teachers who tell us what we want to hear, but we have unprecedented opportunities for that. Kurong. Who's been to Kurong and browse because they want a particular book, they want a subject that they want to book on. Maybe it's a devotion or maybe they're interested in one aspect of teaching. And so you go down and you find 10 books and you, you flick through them, but you're not going to buy all 10, are you? You might buy two or three. Which two or three are you going to buy? There'll be something that connects with you about a couple of them. Um, you read that, oh yeah, I really resonate with that. And they might, uh, you might buy them, take them home. And funnily enough, the ones that you tend to buy are the ones that will tend to affirm what you already know and what you already believe. That's just human nature. That's what Paul's writing about right here. You're surfing the internet and the internet's so great because it, it helps us to look beyond ourselves and our own traditions and, and draw richly on all kinds of learning. But what kind of stuff do we tend to focus most on? The stuff that tells us that we can go ahead and continue to do what we already do and believe what we already believe and will give us that little bit of ammunition against that pesky person in my family or my local church who thinks we ought to do this. Oh, no, but so-and-so says, and that person's an expert. 
Right? So we're looking for the experts who will tell us what we want. We're not looking for the experts who will tell us, no, you might not have it all together. That's generally human nature. That's exactly what Paul says to Timothy is going to be happening more and more and more. So what do we need to do? Yeah, use the universal church. Read widely. But make sure you're travelling deeply with people who are able to say, yeah, but have you actually honestly sought out the other point of view? Well, when I look at your life, eh, maybe that's not the real issue. Without that travelling deeply with some, you won't actually use the resources of the universal church as well as you ought. Who's making sure that you're not just reading books and listening to messages and, and continuing along the path that is keeping you stuck in what you believe and what you're doing? Who's helping you to make sure that you're growing, to obey everything that Jesus commanded? That's what we want. Uh, I notice there's a couple of people sitting out in the sound booth uh, today. Don't worry, you haven't done anything wrong. Um, but, you know, when, when we're doing stuff, just serving together in whatever capacity it might be, uh, as we just get to know each other, hey, what's been going on? And it might be a young person, hey, how was school this week? As we're touching base with each other, um, who knows what the opportunities might be to actually hear about, oh, there was, this happened at school this week, or you know what, this is the issue that's going on in my family. Probably that won't happen on the first time you say, how was your week? But maybe it'll happen on the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time. And maybe you get to follow up on that next time you're serving together. Or maybe it'll just be next Sunday as you see them again and say, hey, I was praying for you with that thing. How'd it go? And maybe as you actually go deeper, little step by little step with people, who knows how the local church will live up to its unique character. In our culture, every local church is under pressure to be the universal church. Hey, we've got to be awesome on the internet. Our music's got to be brilliant. Our teacher has got to be the world's best communicator. And we've... Uh, established years ago, we just ain't going there, all right? But let's own what we are meant to do. Let's do that. Let the universal church be the universal church. Let's do our part really well. Let's pray. God, would you uh, help us to see today what our next steps are? And it could be that we're part of a ministry team, but we're so busy just trying to get done what we're supposed to do that we're not actually going deeper with each other in doing it together. So maybe... Just that spending a little bit more time, being a little bit less hurried, is what we need to do. Maybe we are stretched just so widely that the decision needs to be, look, I'm going to spend less time reading the news updates on my phone. I'm going to spend less time browsing Facebook. Or whatever it might be. Just so that we can focus a little bit more on who you've put around us at this time and this place. Well, it's going to look really different for all of us. But would you help us to know how to connect more deeply with the few people that you've called us to journey that way with? Would you help our church to celebrate the ways that that's happening? And would you help us to be careful not to stretch each other too wide, to try and uh, just flood our lives with more busyness? But would you help us to identify those things that are worth doing regularly? Lord, would you help us to be deep? And as we do that, may we make uh, disciples of Jesus who not only wear his name as a label, but who wear him as our identity, whose life is really coming from him, whose life is really under his authority. And this I pray for your glory and for the good of everyone who learns to follow you in this way. Amen.